Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning for the wonderful gift of life. And we thank you for strength. We thank you for health. We thank you for joy. We thank you that you are present with us, a Father who loves us and cares for us. I bless you for each and every person that is here. And I thank you, Lord, because you are faithful. You are faithful, Lord. And there are testimonies upon testimonies here of the great doing that you have performed in the lives of your people. Father, may you always be praised. May you forever be exalted. We bless you and we honor you. And even this morning, as we continue learning about how you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds, I pray that you will give us revelation, knowledge, and understanding into the mystery of Christ, that we can continually walk in this reality of every beautiful thing that you have delivered to us. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So yesterday, um, I, 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 I started um, sharing on uh, the message that he healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up their wounds. And I was reading from the book of Psalms 147 verse three, which says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And I laid a foundation uh, based on what the message of the gospel is because everything that we teach draws its meaning from Christ. Everything that we teach draws its meaning from Christ. Everything that we teach finds its meaning in Christ. Amen. Amen. It means that if you're going to teach about forgiveness, it is in light of, if you're going to teach about prosperity, it is in light of Christ. If you're going to teach about victory, it is in light of Christ. If you're going to teach about um, the renewal of, <clears throat> of the mind, it is in light of Christ. And even healing of the brokenhearted and binding up their wounds, it is in light of Jesus Christ. It is in light of Jesus Christ. That is why we have the shadows and we have the substance. The shadows is in the Old Testament. Even the pattern of worship points to Jesus Christ. Everything points to Christ. Praise the Lord. So we understand that even the work of healing the brokenhearted and binding up their wounds points to Jesus Christ. All these things were shadows that were pointing towards the appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is why when we read Psalms 147, verse 3, that says he heals the broken head and binds up their wounds, we realize that that is a very similar account with what Isaiah said concerning Jesus Christ. Because Isaiah prophesied beforehand about the coming of Christ. And when Isaiah prophesied, he didn't know who exactly he was talking about. But you know, when the Spirit of God was upon him, he did prophesy and he spoke about the work of Christ in healing the brokenhearted and in also binding up their wounds because it was foreordained, it was God's intention that this should happen. In Isaiah chapter 61, 
we know what that particular passage says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach glad tidings, right? And then it says um, that Isaiah says that God has anointed him to also to bind up the brokenhearted, to open the prison for those who are bound, to open the eyes of the blind. And so we see that all those things that were spoken there, they point towards Jesus Christ because when Christ came, and he entered the temple, he opened the scrolls and he went straight to the passage of Isaiah 61. And he spoke those very words that Isaiah spoke and he said, these things today have been fulfilled in your presence. It means that whatever Isaiah spoke beforehand, Christ is now the manifestation of it. And so I looked at the gospel message or the summation or the summary rather of Christ's purpose. First Timothy 3.16 says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. And this is talking about his birth, that God was manifest in the flesh, his birth and his life in the flesh, and that he was justified in the spirit, which means his death and resurrection that he was seen of angels, he was preached unto the Gentiles, and he was believed on in the world, and he was received up in glory. So he talks about Christ, that in all these things that Jesus did, in all these things that he did, there was a lot of benefits that came to the believers. And that is why we read the scriptures that talked about his birth, Luke 2.14, that glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace and goodwill to all men. It means that there was peace and goodwill as a plan and as an intention by the coming of Jesus Christ. We read about his life um, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38 to 41, where he testifies how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That Jesus in his life, he went about doing good. He went about doing good. Everywhere where Jesus went, he did good. And he healed all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. It is a beautiful statement. God was with him. And that he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And then we now went further and we looked at the statements that were made prophetically in Isaiah 53 about Jesus, that he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root of a dry ground, that he has no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him, that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And we continued and we, we read that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shares is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death 
because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he had put him to grief. When he shall make his soul an offering for sin. And when you, when you read that, this is talking about a broken heart. That the one who had a broken heart beforehand was Jesus. Jesus himself had a broken heart. Hi, good morning. You're going to school? Okay, go have breakfast. I love you. Yes, I'm, I'll come and join you. Bye-bye. Sorry, I was interrupted by the little man. So Isaiah 53, beloved, it shows us that Jesus was brokenhearted before we were. Are we together? That he went through it before we went through it. But he, the reason that he went through it is now that he is able to heal the brokenhearted. Why? Because now we can say we have a high priest who was tempted in every respect, yet without sin. That we have a high priest who is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. We have a high priest who is touched by what we experience. Because he has been brokenhearted, he is able to make intercession for us. Because he himself has been brokenhearted. He himself has been rejected. He himself has dealt with grief. He, Jesus, has dealt with rejection. That people have turned their faces away from him. They have hid their faces away from him. So if you have ever been rejected, Jesus was rejected. Therefore, he is a high priest who is touched by the feelings of your infirmities. He's a high priest who is touched by the feelings of your experiences. If you are going through rejection, Jesus faced it. So he knows what it feels like. That is why he is not a God who is distant from you. But he is able to understand when you are brokenhearted. That's why he is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to those who are crushed in spirit because he has gone through it himself. That is so beautiful, beloved, that Jesus is close to you. If you have been brokenhearted, if you are going through broken, uh, 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 if you're going through a broken marriage, Jesus understands it because as it were, humanity was divorced from God. As it were, humanity was separate from God. As it were, we were enemies of God. And he brought the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. It means that even that divorce, it means that broken relationship, he understands it. And the very first instance of broken relationship happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, when they sinned before God, we saw the, bro the broken fellowship. So he understands everything that you may go through. He is touched by what you go through. He is touched by it. So he's not a God who is distant. He's not a God who is far away from you. Hallelujah. So when we read this account, we understood everything that Jesus went through. We understood how he was mocked. We understood how he was wrongly accused we understood how people thought that he was crucified because of his own sins and because of his own transgression yet it was because of us we understood his experience because the bible says he was taken to prison he was taken from prison and from judgment 
he experienced all these things. If it was his appearance that was not one that was celebrated, his visage, if it was, if, if, it, if it was facing mockery or facing rejection or facing um, or being despised because of that, he went through it. So that if you have been wounded, you know that Jesus also has gone through it. And that is the beautiful thing about our savior, that he has gone through it so that you don't have to, you don't have to be overwhelmed by those experiences, but rather that there's a way out for you. There is a way out for you. That's why the Bible says there is no temptation that has overtaken us that is not common to man. But God is faithful that even in that particular temptation, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your strength, but he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God is pretty much aware, beloved, and I wish to bring it to your attention that he is touched. We then move further and we look to his burial and what it means to us that he was buried. We, will, we identify with his burial and we identify with his resurrection. And the question that I posed to you yesterday and I said we will tackle today is why the heart? He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That he is close to those that have been brokenhearted and that they've been crushed in spirit. Why the heart? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? All right. So we will look at a myriad of scriptures and some of them by God's grace, I will share uh, notes so that you can be able to understand. But when the Bible says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, I wish to bring this understanding to us. The heart is very important to God. The word heart in the Hebrew is the word leb, L-E-B, leb, the heart. And it is used figuratively for, uh, very widely for the feelings, the will, and even intellect. Likewise, the center for anything. The word leb, all right? It is used widely for the feelings, the will, and even the intellect. It is used figuratively, widely. It's called leb, all right? It is a very interesting word when we talk about the heart. And um, I want us to just pay attention to that so that we can understand these things, okay? Um, That's the word leb. I would, I, I'll share this, uh, this notes later. I wanted to paste them on the comment section, but it seems I can't, so I will share them later. So the word heart is the word leb, very widely used for feelings, the will and even the intellect. The feelings, the will and even the intellect. Likewise, for the center of anything what we care for, what we consent to. There's so many, 
correlations with that particular word. And in the, in the Bible, the outline of its biblical, biblical usage, it shows that the heart is the inner man, which is the mind, will, heart, and understanding. It is the inner man, the inner part, or the midst of things, the midst of things, the heart of the matter, the heart of man, all right? It is the soul or the heart. Those are all the usages where the heart is used. It, 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 it is used to talk about the mind, uh, knowledge, thinking, reflection, memory, our inclination, our resolutions, our determination, and that is of the will. It is also the seat of our appetites, the seat of our emotions and passions, also the seat of courage. So there is so much that the Bible talks about when it refers to the heart. There is so much. Secondly, it is the middle, uh, it denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. When the Bible talks about the heart, Sorry, my, my dogs are making some noise. Let me just uh, close my window there. All right. So um, it also denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. The center and the seat of the spiritual life. So basically, when we talk about the heart, we are talking about a, a broad usage of the word heart. We're talking about the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions of a man. It touches also on the character of a person. And it talks about the soul as far as it is affected and stirred in a bad way or in a good way. So this is so much, and I would rather uh, just simplify it to you. But rather, the heart is the center of everything in a person's life. It's not just talking about, the, we are not talking about the physical object or the physical organ, rather, the physical organ in your body. We're talking about the mind, will, and the emotions. All right? In the, in the, in the Greek, the word used for heart is the word cardia. Cardia, where we get the word cardiac. Cardia, and it's also in relation with the same things that I have shared with you, Cardia. All right, so if it is the mind, <clears throat> if it is the will, if it is the emotion, if it is the cent center of your being, God has an interest because if the very center of your life is broken, if, if, if your heart is broken, we are basically saying that you are disfigured in your mind. You are disfigured in your will. You are disfigured in your understanding. And if it is the center of your life, it means the outflows of your life will be outflows that are not whole, but disfigured. It means that a broken heart 
basically translates to a broken life. A broken heart will translate to a broken life, a disfigured life, a life that is not whole. And so if the core of who you are is damaged, it means that everything about your life will also follow suit. Everything about your life will also follow suit. Are we together? So yes. it's so important for us to understand this. And it's really, really critical for us to take these things to heart. Uh, the word broken is the word broken heart. The word broken is the word shaba or shoba. And it means break down into pieces or crush, destroy, heart, quench, tear or quiet, even quiet. So what is the meaning of that? It means that a, a heart that is broken up, broken down into pieces or a heart that is crushed, it means that the outflows of that life are outflows of a crushed and defeated life. There are outflows that are not healthy. There are outflows that are not beautiful. It means that life cannot proceed from you because if the heart is not in a good place, then there is a problem. And that is why God is interested in our hearts. I'd like to bring it to your attention that the word of God gives us an idea of what are the contents of the heart. The word of God gives us an idea about the contents of the heart. Right in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the word of God says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart. So the heart is where the belief is built, is where trust is built in the heart. So if your heart is broken, if your heart is damaged, you can therefore not believe. You can therefore not trust God. Because with the heart we believe, we believe. And therefore we make confession with our mouths. It first comes first. Believing comes first. That's why the Bible says, according to the same spirit of faith of those who believe, we believe, therefore we speak. If you've ever read that particular passage, we believe, therefore we speak. It's in the book of Psalms, and it's also in the book of, um, I believe, uh, 2 Corinthians, either chapter 3 or 4 there. So we believe first, then we speak. So it means that if we don't, if our heart is damaged, we therefore cannot believe. And if we cannot believe, therefore we cannot speak. Therefore, it means that the outflows of our, heart, of our mouth will not be words that are faithful, will not be words that are full of life, will not be words that are blessed, but it will be words that are not ministering grace. It will be words that are basically speaking death. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3 verse 5. How can I trust the Lord with all my heart if my heart is broken? Because if it is broken in pieces, it can never be 
whole. So I can never trust him with all my heart. I will lean on my own understanding because that is a contrast that is set there. Trust in the Lord with your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So what is the outcome of distrust? When we don't trust the Lord, what are the consequences? We lean on our own understanding. We lean on our own understanding when the heart is not able to trust in the Lord. And that is why um, we can be doing ministry, you can be ministering to people. And as long as they have not been able to receive healing, you will go around in circles. You will teach them today about how much Jesus loves them. But they will still not take it. They will still not believe it. They will still lean on their own understanding. Their own understanding tells them they are not worthy of being loved. Their own understanding tells them that they are not worthy of being accepted. Their own understanding tells them that they are not worthy of being celebrated. So when you tell them the Lord rejoices over you with singing, they still cannot believe it. Why? Because their own understanding has a voice. Their own understanding is speaking. And their understanding is speaking contrary to the word of the Lord. It is speaking contrary to the word of the Lord. I don't know if you've been there where you have received a word, but you still grapple and wrestle with it because you cannot believe that actually God has this great interest about you. So you continue in your own ways. You lean on your own understanding time and time again. And therefore, you make the ministers of God work overtime as they try to really affirm and assert these things of God into your life. It takes time. It is a work of it is a work of patience. There is a labor that is required there, but you just seem you just can't come to to grips with accepting the testimony and the report of the Lord. Why? Because the heart is broken. So the heart is important because in the heart is where trust is built. In the heart is where trust is built. It is where we believe in the Lord. That's why it's so important. There are many other scriptures that will allude to the same about that. And I will go through a couple of scriptures about the heart. The heart is so important. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard is on your heart. Guard your heart, for out of it cometh the flows of life. For out of it comes the issues of life. And when we say issues of life, we're not saying issues that is drama. But that person has issues. No. Issues is the flow. For example, we say water issues from the fountain. Or we can say blood issued from the nose. We are talking about the source of something and how the contents of that source come to sight how they come to be seen. So when we talk about the heart, we talk about the flows of life. That, that means that the heart is supposed, from the heart there's supposed to come flows of life. That means from your heart, there's supposed to be issues of life. That from the heart, you're supposed to be releasing life. Hallelujah. The Bible calls us life-giving spirits. So, is life coming from your heart? Are you speaking life? Or when you speak, beloved, you speak death. 
you speak failure, you speak discouragement, you speak abuses, you wound and bruise, you open your mouth to speak and you do so much emotional damage to people. Because the issues of life are supposed to come from it. So when that source of life is broken, can people drink from your fountain? Absolutely not. That's why in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, the Bible test testifies about the two sins that God had against the house of Israel. One, that they have neglected him, the fountain of living water. And that two, they have built for themselves systems. Systems that are broken, systems that cannot hold water. It means that when you're brokenhearted, when people come to drink from your fountain, they cannot find anything. They cannot find anything. Jesus said, if any man believes in me, out of his belly shall flow streams of living water. From within him shall come streams of living water. The question is, when you are brokenhearted, will there, life proceed, will there be life proceeding from you? Absolutely not. It means the motions of your life, everything about you will be affected by the state of your heart. That is why you can meet certain people and your heart just warms up to them because you can feel the state of someone's heart. You can feel their heart. You can feel it. That's why we usually say that person has a bad heart. You never saw the heart with your eyes, but you can see the issues of the heart. You can see the flows of the heart. You can see what is coming forth from the heart. You can see what's coming forth from the, from the heart. Some hearts are nasty. When someone opens their mouth to speak, my goodness, you just want to keep your distance away from them because it is the state of the heart. That is why God is interested. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 to 37 says, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 to 37. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Why did Jesus use this particular account? Because the speaking proceeds from the heart. So blasphemy, blasphemy proceeded from the heart. It, blasphemy is a reflection of the state of the heart. That the state of the heart does not believe in Jesus. The state of the heart does not believe in the Holy Spirit. The state of the heart speaketh against the Holy Ghost. It speaketh against the Son of Man because there is no faith in that heart. So Jesus said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. And our lives are known. They will be known by the, by the fruit, by fruit. That's why Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is your heart filled with? Because the abundance of your heart will be reflected in your speech. Hallelujah. You cannot fool people for too long. I can come and I can be very nice and polished can say shalom 
Oh, shalom, sister. Shalom, sister Alice. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. You know, I can put even a, a, a gentle voice by the state of my heart. If I spend some time with you, you will know the state of my heart. I cannot fool you for too long. If I am nasty, you will say, uh-uh, that brother, there's something wrong with him. There's something wrong with him. You will know the state of my heart. It will be too hard to hide it for too long because it will come forth. There will be triggers. There will be triggers that will reflect the state of my heart. So it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. One of the ways to know the state of the heart is by the speech, is by the speech. You will spend time with somebody and after some time, you will begin to pick cues from their speech. You will begin to pick the state of their heart by the things they say. Beyond that, even by their countenance, you can look at someone's face. If you're, as long as you're a spiritual man, you can look at someone's face and you can tell something is wrong, something is off. Then Jesus said something, a good man, out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And I, I want to tell you this, treasures are not kept in the open. Treasures are kept in secret, they are hidden. So Jesus said, a good man out of the treasure of his heart, it means out of the depths of his heart, because treasures are kept in the deep. Treasures are hidden. They are kept in, they're not visible. They are deep. They are hidden. So from the depths of the heart, you will bring forth, whether it is evil or good, whatever you have kept in the depths of your heart, whatever you have held on to, whatever you have treasured, whatever you have cherished, you will bring forth. If you have cherished bitterness, it will come forth from, the, from your heart. It will proceed from your heart. And you'll begin to wonder why are people are avoiding you. Well, because they know the state of your heart. It's bitter. It's bitter. You go somewhere, you enter a room, and man, you, you just destroy the atmosphere. You destroy the atmosphere. Atmosphere destroyers. You enter a room, my goodness, you destroy the vibe in the room. Because the depths of your heart, it's treasure. You see, it's not kept in the open. So when I meet you, you will first of all give me what's in the open. That means the top surfaces of your heart, you will speak the nice words. You will speak the polished words. You will speak the beautiful things. You will be very cordial. Um, we can go about the pleasantries. Oh, good evening. How are you doing? Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, praise. Oh, that's so precious. Oh, my goodness. And we will sound so polished and we'll sound so... So, so well kept, but as the buttons are pressed, now the treasures, those that are hidden deep inside will begin to surface. They'll begin to surface and people will be like, oh my goodness, that's who truly that person is because it has really come forth from the depths of their heart. That's truly who they are.
I don't know if it is making sense to you. Jesus is the one who said it. So why is God interested in the heart? Because from the heart, we bring forth treasure. We bring forth what's in the heart. So there is no, there is no pretense. The heart is the center of everything. Our mind, will, and our emotions. How we think. The Bible is talking about the heart. How we think, how we perceive things. Our mindset. That's coming from the heart. It's the heart. Another thing, another thing to help you to understand why the heart. Because today we're talking about why the heart. And maybe tomorrow now, tomorrow we can talk about what God does to that heart that is broken. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the heart has thoughts and intents. So when you're talking about the heart, we're talking about your thoughts, and we're talking about your intentions, your mind, and your intents, your will, is a reflection of your lab or your cardia, your heart. The thoughts and the intents of the heart. What are your thoughts? What are your intents? Are they aligned with God's word? Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing through the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow. Where this one is something today. So the word of God is supposed to expose and lay bare our hearts, show us our intent. So what is the state of your heart? What are your thoughts and your intents, beloved? What are my, what are my thoughts and my intents? They will be known by God's word. They will be known by God's word. They will be known by God's word. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart, the thoughts, the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart. Your imaginations, your thoughts, that's your heart. That's your heart. Fikrazako. What do you think about people? Oh my goodness. You know, this, this really exposes all of us. It exposes us because sometimes we have entertained thoughts that are not even pleasant. We have had mindsets, we have fixed, been fixated on certain things that are not pleasant. It's a reflection of the heart. When we talk about strongholds, when we have fortified thoughts in our hearts, when we have a fortress of a way of thinking that becomes impenetrable, the word of God cannot get there. It's a reflection of our heart. That's our heart. Oh, Lord, help us. 
Jeremiah 17 verse 9 to 10 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So our thoughts can be deceitful. The heart can be deceitful and desperately wicked. So God says he's, he tries the heart. Now, that being said, I want you to also understand something. God tries, he looks at our heart. So when God is looking at you, it's not about what you say. It's about the state of your heart because God looks at your heart. It's not about what we say. It's not about what we say. We can stand on pulpits and we can talk. Say, you know, um, the other day I was traveling from uh, Washington, D.C., coming all the way to Kenya. And the spirit of the Lord was speaking to me and God can know whether I am, why, why have I said Washington, D.C.? Maybe I've said it so that you can think I'm a very important person. I've said it so that you can actually think, oh, he's well-traveled, then he must be a man of means. So what is really the deepest issue? What God sees is not what I have said, it's not the travel that I have described, but God sees an insecurity. God sees an insecurity, and that insecurity is stemming from an insufficiency or an inability to be content with who God has made me. So that's what he sees. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. Even for us ministers of the gospel, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. He can see when we are doing things, even we can be doing ministry to fulfill our own insufficiencies. We can be doing ministry so we can be considered to be important. We can be doing ministry so we can be hard, so we can be seen to be good. And God sees the intents and the thoughts of our heart. We can be doing it, but we're not genuine. God sees the thoughts and the intents of our heart. He sees the intentions. He looks at our heart and he sees it. Matthew chapter 15. Before we get to verse 11, I'll read uh, previous verses just for context. Then came to Jesus the scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition? of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his mother or his father, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free, Thus have he made the commandment of God of none effect by tradition. Basically, Jesus was rebuking them because there were people who were saying, whatever you would profit from me, it now belongs to God. So dad, mom, I have nothing to give you. So they failed to honor their parents because they used religion as a way to say, you know what? I am dedicated to God. So anything that you would profit from me, it is given to God. So there's nothing more I have to give to you, dad or mom. And Jesus was calling them hypocrites. 
He said, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, these people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. My goodness. That, 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 that one has hit home. That we draw nigh. These people honor me with their lips. They honor me. They draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oh, my goodness. That we could be saying, Lord, I love you. We say those things, but God sees our heart and he knows, oh, my goodness. That's not the state of our our heart. That's not where we really are. But he's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. He knows that your your intents are not true, but still patient with us. Did you hear that? That you can actually draw nigh. These people, they draw nigh unto God. They have a form of godliness. They are pious. They look the part with their phylacteries, with their dressings, with their garments and ephods and all those things. But their heart is far away from God. It is with the lips and with the mouth, but not with the heart. So just because it's on the fruit of the lips, it doesn't mean that it's what is really in the heart. And then he says, but in vain, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. And they called the multitude and said unto them, hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Or rather he said, then Jesus called to the crowd and to come and hear and say, listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked him, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by, by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us this parable. Then Jesus says, People aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked, anything you you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. It is the state of the heart that defiles a man. It is the state of the heart that defiles a man. The state of the heart. That is what defiles a man. So why is God interested? Because the state of our hearts determine the state of our lives. And that is why God is interested. God is interested in your heart. That's why he has to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds because that is his interest. The heart, the inner man, the mind, the will, the heart, 
that understanding, our intellect, our thinking, God is interested in the heart. God is interested in the heart, beloved. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19. It's a very interesting scripture. Proverbs 27, verse 19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Your life reflects the heart. You can say much, you can talk much, you can say what you want to say, but your life reflects the heart. Your life reflects the heart. Proverbs 27 verse 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Our desires are in the heart. Psalms 20 verse 4 says, may he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. It means that in the heart there is desire. Desire is a part of your heart. Where does God desire to put his word? In our heart. Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So with the heart we love. With the heart we love. That's why God uh, beforehand put it in the heart of Ezekiel and he prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26, that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Symbolically talking about the heart of flesh, which is the new birth. The heart is where we make our intents known. We, we decide there. Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The heart is where we make those decisions. Our intentions, our decisions are in the heart. So what kind of decisions will we make if you're brokenhearted? There will be erratic decisions. There will be wrong decisions. 
In the heart is where wisdom dwells. Psalms 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the heart dwells wisdom. So how you navigate your life, how you deal with matters in your life shows your heart. If it is a broken heart, and if it is a whole heart, it will show because wisdom resides there. Psalms 90 verse 12 teaches to number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The heart is where we, we meditate. Psalms verse 19, Psalms 19 uh, verse 14 says, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is the meditation of our heart? What is the occupation of your heart time and time again? What is the occupation of your heart? Mark 11 verse 23 says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. So faith is also in the heart. Faith is in the heart. I told you earlier that desires are in the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28 is another scripture that echoes that. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So desire is in the heart. How we praise and we worship God is in the heart. Psalms 119 verse seven says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. So true praise is the state of the heart. True worship is the state of our heart. True praise, true worship unto God is the state of the heart. It is not the words that we say, but it is the state of the heart. You can say, I honor you, Lord. But just like Jesus said, your heart can be far away from him. Your heart can be far away from him. Our service is in the heart too. Our service is in the heart. Our service is in the heart. Joshua chapter 22 verse 5 says, but be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So our true service is reflected in the state of our heart. 
Hallelujah. So there are many scriptures here. Even hope. Our hope is centered around the state of our heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a long fulfilled life is a tree, but, but, a, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is basically everything that pertains to our lives, beloved. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So in the heart is where we have to keep the word of God. And I will touch on that tomorrow. So there are many scriptures here and I will share all the scriptures. But what are we saying? We're saying that God is interested in the heart because it is the center of all things that pertains to our lives. God is interested in your lab, he's interested in your cardia, he's interested in that central place of your life. Remember what I read to you, the explanations of the word heart in the Greek. The word heart is the word lab. And it is used figuratively, very widely, and the will and even the intellect. Likewise, for the center of anything, what we care for, what we can come to, all is a center of our heart. It is our wisdom. It is our understanding, and. In the outlines of biblical usage, we see the inner man as a reference of the heart. The inner man, the mind, the will, the understanding. Also, the soul is used for that expression. The mind, the knowledge, the thinking, the reflection, our memory, our inclination, our resolutions, our determinations. our conscience, the seat of our appetites, the seat of our emotions and passions. Everything that relates to our being points to the state of our heart. And God is interested in our inner man. God is interested in our heart. God is interested in that so that we can be well, so that we can now be able to manifest him. Because as long as he doesn't have the center seat in our lives, as long as he's not enthroned in our hearts, we will not be able to represent him or we will not be able to show him forth. We will not be able to show him forth. And so when we have broken hearts. The cause of our life is affected. 
the cause of our life is affected. Our surroundings, our environment, they are affected by the state of our hearts. They are affected by the state of our hearts. That is why God is interested in you. His word says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I realized that the issue of broken hearts is not just a, re a preserve of the people who are not born again, but also those who are born again would be dealing with wounds in their heart. They could be broken hearted. They could not experience the reality of what Christ has brought for them. Just like the way Jesus said he comes to open the eyes of the blind. It was not only just literal, but also figurative in terms of the blindness that we had in terms of our inability to see God. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe so that they may not see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, he talks about people who are legalistic, that as long as Moses is read, there remains a veil upon their heart. But when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. No, it says, and when the veil is taken away, and when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God as in a glass are being transformed after the image of God from one degree of glory to another, are the spirit of God. It means that there could be people who are born again, but they are blind to the realities of who Christ has made them. Yes, Jesus said that the spirit of the Lord has anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to, proca to proclaim liberty to the captives, but there are believers who still live For those who still live like captives, they don't live like they are free. They're captives to fear. Jesus said to preach good tidings unto the meek, to preach good news. Now that good news has not brought joy to people. Here, Jesus said that God has sent him to bind up the brokenhearted, but there are people who still are brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, there are those who still live as if they are in bondage, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, but yet there are those who still live as if they are bound. So God is interested even in us who are born again, because this is the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he heals the broken heart and he binds up their wounds. But walking in that reality and walking in that awareness could be something that we are not experiencing. Just like the way grace has been availed for us to walk without condemnation, as long as you have not learned about it, you can still be walking in condemnation. You can still be walking in guilt. 
just like the way God has revealed himself as love, we could still be dealing with God as this wrathful judge. And in the same way, he has healed the brokenhearted and he has bound, he, he's, he has bind up their wounds. But it doesn't mean that that will be the experience of somebody who is living. We could still be labored, uh, we could still be overwhelmed with grief, overwhelmed with sorrow, overwhelmed with the cares of life, overwhelmed with our past, things that people have done to us, things that people have caused to us and we are not able to experience that liberty that Christ has provided for us, we're not able to experience it. because we are still wounded in our hearts. And I wish to bring it to your attention, beloved, that the word of God is so beautiful, that God provided room for us to enjoy these experiences. He has even gone farther and he's even provided believers who are also therapists so that they can help you to experience the healing that God has already provided for you. The healing is there. The healing is there. The healing is there. And that is why God is interested in your heart because the affairs of your life, the affairs and emotions of your life stem from your heart. And if your heart is not okay, it will begin to prove itself or manifest itself in our actions, in our conduct, in our behavior, in our patterns. So when God reveals it to us, is he revealing it to us for the purpose of proving himself to be right and we are wrong? Absolutely not. That is already established. He is doing it so that that place that has a problem can be surrendered to him. That place that has a problem can be yielded to him, can be given to him. The depths of our heart where the treasure is, the treasures in the depths of our heart, there also the Lord desires to permeate. He said he will move in us. He will perambulate <laughs> our being. He, 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 he reigns in us, he moves in us through every part of our being, in our deepest thoughts, in our deepest meditations, he desires also there to be enthroned. And so the heart is so important. And when we were teaching about this particular subject uh, at Ufungamano with Pastor Lunet and Pastor Kevin, as we were sharing with people about these things, we could, we could clearly see that it is needed because there are a lot of things that are weighing on people. When we were praying with, with, with the saints, it was, it was such an emotional time that was pushing me to the point of tears because I would see how, how people have carried so much. But Jesus has made an invitation saying, casting your cares to me because I care for you. Casting our cares to him because he cares for us. But we have carried so much we have carried so much in our lives we have been weighed down 
by all these weights, all these heartaches, all these pains, and they have affected the cause of our life. They have affected the motions of our life. But Jesus heals and binds up the broken heart. And tomorrow, I want to share with you how Jesus does it. I want to share with you how Jesus heals the brokenhearted. And um, after we learn about that, as time permits now, we will move to another aspect of it called proving God's will. It's a, it's a teaching I've shared in, 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 in Flick, and I think it will be necessary for us to sort of learn it again. But where we are right now, I want us to take a few minutes and begin to introspect. A few minutes just to introspect and look at our lives because I wanted to help you see the heart, not in such a complicated way. But I want us to introspect and please consider this. Consider your will, consider your feelings. If you have a pen, you can just um, take a piece of paper and you can list uh, these things in a straight line. Uh, or even if it's a circle, and you can, you can, you can, you can begin in the circle, you can write the heart and around it, you can write all these things because I want you to see your heart not based on it being something that is so far-fetched, but in the simplicity of it, when we say, let us introspect our hearts, I want you to introspect your feelings. Just take a moment and introspect your feelings. Take a moment and consider your will. Consider your will. Consider your intent. You can write your you can write these words down. You can write by feelings. You can write by will. You can write intellect. You can write what I care for. What I care for. You can write what I consent. Consent. You can write my understanding. Can write my wisdom, my pain. All these are just words that try to give us that understanding by virtue of the biblical usage of these particular words. My reflections, my reflections, my thinking, my memory, memories that are very strong some of them that stand out to you. You can write there my appetites, my emotions, my passions. These are just keywords. These are just keywords to paint that picture. My inclines, my inclination, things that I am inclined to. Am I inclined to anger easily? Why am I, am I inclined to anger? What are my inclines? 
every single day. And as we list all these things, we will begin to do, as we list these things, we will begin to have a vision or a picture of our heart. As I speak to you, I can see my heart. I can see things about my heart where the Lord needs to help me heal. I can see it in myself. I can see part of it is also reflected in my fears. It's reflected in my fears. So if you've written those things down, your desires, your affections, your passions. Huh? I want you to take a moment and just introspect on those things. As we close our eyes, um, just, uh, we don't have to necessarily close your eyes because anyway, you need to look at those keywords. Just look at them and what are those things that are standing out for you? When you think about your inclinations, what are standing out to you? I don't need to tell you, you could sometimes already pick it up. What are, what are, what are my passions inclined to? What are, what are my thoughts? What are, what are the thoughts that are running in my mind? What is my meditation? What is the consistent pattern of thinking? What is the thoughts that continually, on a day-to-day, -day, they are always present in my life? Not things that you say, but things that you know in, deep down in your heart. There are those things that are always standing in front of you. They're always standing in front of you. They're always standing in front of you. They're always a bother to you. You know, our hearts are, they're reflected, we see our hearts sometimes easily. I remember for the longest time, I never, I, 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 I never believed that I would ever do, I would ever become a pastor and do ministry full time. Because the only reason why I feared doing ministry and dedicating myself to do ministry was because I was afraid of being broke. And the fear of being broke has disturbed me for a very long time until my wife told me, hey, yes, you are a servant of God, but uh-uh. There's like a problem with your relationship with money. And as we were discussing with her, I remembered, oh, for those who were here when the meeting began, it stemmed from those experiences we had with my father. The things that happened to us as a family, that's where that particular pattern came from. That fear came from there when I saw a home being plundered and things falling apart. And that thing stuck with me for a very long time. For a very long time. And I would have an, an unrest. I would have an, a certain unrest. My wife would tell me, my husband, just relax. I would be like, no, I have to provide for my family. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And whereas it might look like it's something commendable, it was driven by a fear. It was driven by a fear. 
that I cannot just be settled and enjoy life for a moment. I just have to be anxious about, oh, um, um, we need to do this, we need to do that. Um, every now and then, I'm just there's a sudden anxiety that rules and, and I would see, oh, so this is a problem. It's actually a reflection of the state of my heart. That I am not fully trusting of the Lord. As a matter of fact, that falling apart of the family was actually traumatic and I didn't know. So I remember a couple of years ago, I, I was working uh, in a certain company and um, there are just days I would have a certain mood. I would just be so, so withdrawn. And I remember uh, one, of the, one of the bosses I had apparently was actually a, a psychologist. Uh, she was studying, I think she was, she was a psychologist and a counselor. Uh, no, then she was a counselor studying psycho psychology. And she, she was also a minister and she called me and asked me if you, if you don't mind, we could have a session and talk. And that was my supervisor. And I was like, we talk about what she told me. It has nothing to do with work, Peter. I just want us to talk. And we sat and we started talking with her. And as we were talking, I was already telling her, I feel like my life is not on track. I feel like these are the things I, would have, I wanted to have done in my 20s. You know, those, are, those ridiculous, ambitious things you say that I wanted to, reti to retire by 30. <laughs> my goodness. I was talking, but as I was mentioning all these things, uh, uh, I thought that was the problem, but she was seeing something deeper. And as she probed, she probed, she probed, one of the memories that came one of the memories that came was, and this, I, I never knew this thing had hurt me, but it was a memory of my younger brother because my younger brother was studying in, in, in a decent kindergarten here in Karen. No, 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 and, he, and his primary school life was in Karen. He, he was studying in Karen. So he was this young, round, light-skinned, chubby little kid, so cute. So cute. And when, uh, when things fell apart in our family, when things fell apart in our family, uh, for those who were here earlier when I, when I mentioned about the doors that were opened and how Satan plundered, uh, uh, I was in high school and he was still in primary and we didn't see each other for, for like two years. Because now he was moved from the school he was in and my dad was depressed. He went to the village. He went with him and he took him to a certain school deep, deep in Embu. And so I was just straight from high school and we, we, are, we are now living by ourselves. We're trying to figure ourselves out. Things have just fallen apart and we're in a different town and he's now in a different place. And there were times he was so broke we couldn't even afford bus fare to get to to see our father and we were, it was just a messed up uh, period where we, 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 we were just going through motions. And we, I didn't know we were actually traumatized because, uh, and I don't say this for, 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 for any kind of uh, spite or pride. I'm just trying to paint a context because we never knew what, we had never lived in an apartment. My entire life, I, had, I have no recollection, maybe when I was a baby, but we had never lived in an apartment. 
So we were only used to living in, I don't know what those houses are called. Are they, uh, you know, those colonial houses, which had a compound and there were big houses where these old, uh, these companies where my father was working, they used to give uh, top management. And so I didn't know what it meant to live in an apartment. I was traumatized. I was hearing kids playing outside and I was like, what is this? They are, it's, 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 it's so uncomfortable. But then when I came to see my brother after two or three years, I met a person who was dark skinned. He was light skinned. He, he was dark skinned. He was very skinny. And he had a, <laughs> Alice Mutuma, I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but he had a deep Embu accent. It's beautiful. A deep Embu accent. And I was like, is this my brother? I was like, oh my goodness. I, you know, it's like I was meeting a stranger. This is my brother, but I was like, I'm meeting a stranger. And she found out that she found a way of bringing it up. And when she brought it up, I cried. I broke in tears. I broke in, I didn't know it had affected me, but I broke in, I broke and I cried. Tears came from my eyes. So it is possible that we are born again. But there are experiences that we have carried in our hearts that have deeply affected us. And God is interested in the brokenhearted. He's interested in binding up our hearts and bringing those pieces together. Everyone here can look at the things I have mentioned. You can look at your, your will, your intellect, and those things. I realized my ambition was fed by fear. My ambition was fed from a supposed traumatic experience. And so the reason why I feared being broke is because I remembered those, those experiences. And my wife usually laughs at me whenever we, we, we talk about that and we recall that. I was so afraid of being, you know, I've ever been so afraid, you don't want to be broke. You don't want to be broke. Yani, being broke is that one thing you, you just cannot tolerate. Uh-uh, never. But it was driven by a fear. So I had inclines, I had a certain, I had intents and I, I, had an, I had an ambition, but it was not driven out of God's love. And so when we look at the heart in the, in the broad sense of the things I have mentioned, can you see certain patterns in your life today? Can you see certain things that you do? Why do you do those things? Why do you do those things? You know, these things are reflected in simple things. You know, there are people who they have to dominate a conversation. They have to dominate that conversation. They, they, because they want to be heard because they were never heard in their life. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. Why? Because it is a way of atoning for the periods that they were despised. So they want to show themselves to be able and capable. And they sometimes come out as condescending. They beat others down for them to be heard. What our appetites, what are our determinations? If you look 
into your heart and you take consideration of the things that you care for the most? Do you care for the most how people see you? Do you care for the most how people think about you? Do you care for the most? But you have to be seen or you have to be hard or you have to be the one who is in the center of everything. The feelings that are consistent in you, either the feelings of defeat or feelings of worthlessness. Those things And I am not even a psychologist, but I know some of these things are manifested even in our appetites, in our appetites, and they come from traumatic experiences. And some appetites are just not normal. Appetites that cannot be contained, sexual appetites that cannot be contained within the context of what God considers to be sacred marriage when we look at all those things that pertain to the heart beloved when you look at your emotions your desires your passions when you really look at your resolutions you know one of the ways we also we have resolutions even the resolution that you have made, you have determined I will never again, I will never, you know, to say those things. God is we right. lost you, Peter. We can't hear you. Now, can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. So, as I was saying, the resolutions that have been so strong in us or the thoughts that have been fortified in our minds, they all show us the state of our heart. And I want us to commit those things to the Lord today. You know what it is, and I don't need to tell you, we all know. And tomorrow we'll allow God to teach us how he works so we can cooperate with him. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I want us to just take a couple of minutes and pray. Just two, three minutes. And then we conclude. Feel free to open your microphone and speak in tongues as we just take a few minutes to pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We bless your name. I want to hear you pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning. 
You are close to the brokenhearted. You are close to those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, what a beautiful Savior. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you and we thank you this morning for your word. As I commit each and every one of us to you, Lord, I pray that indeed you will help us to really introspect our hearts, to see clearly where we are in need of your grace, in need of your love, to fill our hearts and Lord, to 
bring this great healing that you so provide so we can work in the reality of your healing that is available for each and every one of us in Christ Jesus. You went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And I know that Father, each and every one of us here is able to receive and enjoy the benefits of healing in light of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we meditate on your word today, and as we think of these things that we have learned, Lord, you will show us things in our hearts that have wounded us, things in our hearts, experiences that wounded us, and that you will help us find healing in you, my Lord. How I bless you and how I thank you because you are loving and you are kind, you are gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and rich in love. And I thank you because you are present to each and every person, close to them, and able, Father, to reveal this great love daily to all of us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Lord, we honor you because you are faithful. We just say thank you, Jesus. We pray that even as we continue this teaching, you will help us so that we can enjoy to walk in this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. How I bless you and I thank you. I pray for everyone that your day is blessed. Everything you do is blessed. The Lord is with you, causing you to prosper, causing you to succeed, causing you to enjoy the goodness of his favor. And Lord, we bless you and we continue to give you glory and honor. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.